Bug Jargal by Victor Hugo, Chapter 26 Meanwhile, darkness still covered the valley where the crowd of blacks and the number of fires increased without ceasing. A group of negresses came near me to light a fire. By the numerous bracelets of blue, red, and violet glass which ornamented their arms and ankles, by the rings which weighed down their ears and adorned their toes and fingers, by the amulets on their bosoms and the collar of charms suspended round their necks, and by the aprons of variegated feathers, sole covering of their nudity, and above all, by their outcry, their vague and haggard look, I recognize them as griot. You are perhaps ignorant that there exists amongst the African blacks a class with a rude talent for poetry and improvisation which approaches closely to madness. These Negroes, wandering from one kingdom to another, are in these barbarian countries looked upon as the ancient rhapsodists, and in the modern age the same as the minstrels of England, the minnesingers of Germany, and the troubadours of France. They are called griots. Their wives, the griots, possessed like them with an insane genius, accompany the barbaric songs of their husbands with lascivious dances, and form a grotesque parody on the notch girls of India and the Almays of Egypt. It was some of these women who came and sat in a circle a few feet from me, their legs crossed under them according to the African custom, and their hideous faces lighted up by the red light of a fire of withered branches. When they had formed a complete circle, they all took hands, and the eldest, who had a heron's plume stuck in her hair, began to exclaim, Uwanga! I had once understood that they were going through one of their performances of witchcraft, which they designate under that name. They all repeated, Uwanga! The eldest, after a moment's silence, pulled out a handful of her hair and threw it into the fire, crying out these sacramental words, Meleokiab! which in the jargon of the Creoles means, I shall go to the devil. All the griot imitated their leader, and throwing locks of their hair into the fire, repeated gravely, Meleokiab. This strange innovation, and the extraordinary grimaces that accompanied it, caused me to burst into one of those hysterical fits of laughter, which often sees the most serious man, or one who is deeply grieved, and is called hysterical laughter. It was in vain that I endeavored to restrain it. It would have vent. This laugh which escaped from so sad a heart brought about a gloomy and terrifying scene. Disturbed in their incantations, all the negresses arose as one startled from sleep. They had not noticed me until then. They rushed tumultuously toward me, screaming, Blanco! Blanco! I have never seen so hideous a collection of faces as these were in their passion, with their white teeth and their eyes almost starting from their heads. They were about to tear me to pieces. The old woman with the heron's plume made a sign and exclaimed several times, Zote corde! Zote corde! Do you agree? The wretched creatures stopped at once, and I saw them, not without surprise, tear off their feather aprons throw them upon the ground, and commence the lascivious dance which the Negroes call La Chica. This dance, which should consist only of attitudes and movements expressive of joy and pleasure, assumed here a different complexion of a sinister character. 
the dreadful looks which the griot cast upon me in the midst of their playful evolutions, the lugubrious accent which they gave to the joyous air of La Chica, the sharp and prolonged moan which the venerable president of the black sonodrum gave from time to time to her balafo, a sort of spinet which sounds like a little organ and is composed of twenty wooden pipes, gradually diminishing in size, and above all, the horrible laugh with which each of the naked sorceresses, in certain pauses of the dance, thrusting her face close to mine, greeted me in turn, showed only too clearly the horrible punishment that awaited the Blanco, white man, who had profaned the mysteries of their Wanga. I recollected that savage nations had a custom of dancing round the victims that they were about to sacrifice, and I patiently awaited the conclusion of the performance which I knew would be sealed with my blood. However, I could not repress a shudder when I saw, at a moment indicated by the balafo, each griot thrust into the fire the point of a saber, or the blade of an axe, a long sailmaker's needle, a pair of pincers, or the teeth of a saw. The dance was approaching its conclusion. The instruments of torture were red. At a signal from the old woman, the negresses marched in line, one after the other, to look for some horrible implement in the fire. Those who had none furnished themselves with a blazing stick. Then I understood clearly what my punishment was to be, and that I should find an executioner in each dancer. At another command from their leader, they commenced the last figure, wailing in a frightful manner. I closed my eyes that I might not see the frantic evolutions of these female demons, who, panting from fatigue and rage, clashed the red-hot weapons over their heads in measured cadence, from which came a sharp noise and myriads of sparks. I waited, nerving myself for the moment when I should feel my flesh quiver in agony, my bones calcine, and my muscles writhe under the burning tortures of the nippers and the saws and a shiver ran through my body. It was a frightful moment. Fortunately, it did not last long. The griots reached the end of La Chica, when, in the distance, I heard the voice of the negro who had made me prisoner. He was running and shouting in his dialect, "'What are you doing, woman of the devil? What are you doing there? Leave my prisoner alone!' I opened my eyes again. It was already broad daylight." The negro hurried with a thousand angry gestures. The griot paused, but they seemed less influenced by the threats of my captor than by the presence of a strange-looking person by whom the negro was accompanied. It was a very stout and very short man, a species of dwarf, whose face was entirely concealed by a white veil pierced with three holes for the eyes and mouth after the manner of the penitents. This veil which fell on his neck and shoulders, left naked his hairy breast, which appeared to me to be the same color as that of a half-caste, and upon which hung a golden chain bearing the sun of a mutilated silver monstrance. One could see the cross-hilt of a heavy dagger peep from his scarlet belt, which also supported a kind of petticoat striped with green, yellow, and black, the hem of which hung down to his large and ill-shaped feet. His arms were bare like his breast. A white staff, a rosary of which the beads were suspended from his belt, close to the dagger, 
and his head was surmounted by a cap adorned with bells, in which, when he approached, I was not surprised in recognizing the Gora of Habibra. Amongst the hieroglyphics with which it was covered, one could see many spots of gore. It was, without doubt, the blood of the faithful fool. These traces of murder gave me fresh proofs of his death, and awakened in my heart a feeling of regret. Directly the griot recognized the wearer of Habibra's cap, they cried out all at once, The Obi! and prostrated themselves. I guessed at once that this was a sorcerer attached to Biasu's force. "'That's enough! That's enough!' said he, with a grave and solemn voice, coming close to them. "'Leave Biasu's prisoner!' All the negresses leaped to their feet, throwing their implements of torture on one side, put on their feather aprons, and, at a gesture from the obi, they fled like a cloud of grasshoppers. At this instant— the glance of the obi fell upon me. He started back a pace, and half waved his white staff in the direction of the retiring griot, as if he wished to recall them. However, after having muttered between his teeth the word, accursed, and said some words in the ear of the negro, he crossed his arms and retired slowly, apparently buried in deep thought.' 